All right. Welcome to another podcast episode. Uh, it's the fall time here in Portland, Oregon, and I'm here with Russ Smith. Hey, how's it going? Joshua Galbraith. Hi. From New Relic. Um, you know, it, it gets colder. The season is turning. The, the leaves are falling falling off, and, you know, uh, a person's mind turns to podcasting. I did a few <laughs> podcast episodes yeah. last fall. Yeah. Uh, got busy. Here we are again, 2018 fall. Yeah, I mean, podcasting is it's like pumpkin spice for your ears. <laughs> well, that's it. Yeah, so exactly we should right. all go to uh, Starbucks after this. Yeah, this is the first time I've ever heard that there, there's a correlation between the fall and podcasting. And this is the first podcast I've ever done. So it should be an interesting experience for both of us. And, you know, kind of want something with pumpkin in it. Anyway. It's certainly a learning experience for us. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Uh, so, Russ, yeah, first time uh, podcast guest. All right. So you are on New Relic's database team. That's correct. Yeah, I've been on it for, what, uh, three and a half years now. Um, uh, I'm the longest uh, tenured member of the team, which is interesting, I guess, on some level. And uh, since then, we've seen some pretty, uh, I guess you would say, dramatic changes in both team composition and uh, how we do business, for sure. And Joshua, you are a alumni of the team, an alumnus. That's right, and proud of it. Uh, it was, uh, I spent almost two years on the team. Uh, I really enjoyed that time. Uh, and then moved on to the distributed data team. So now I'm working with Kafka, Cassandra, Zookeeper, Console, etcd, other distributed stateful systems. Distributed. And that now that you've been, again, working with these distributed systems, again, for, for an extended amount of time, do you think it was a good idea to take these databases that once existed on a single server and then put them on multiple. You think that was a good design choice? I, I think it was a forced decision in a lot of ways. Um, yeah. The inability to put all of our data on a single server, um, so you have to split it up somehow. And and you know we we've even done that in the past as a company, sharding MySQL and uh, and other databases. But uh, yeah, it's certainly uh, there's an added complexity there that. That can make things harder what, operationally. What could go wrong? What right. could go wrong? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, I mean, it's like I tell Joshua pretty much every time that there's there's any sort of issue. It's like you know, distributed computing is hard, and I, I think Joshua's right in the sense that um, we had no choice. I mean, sooner or later, your your volume of data outgrows a single instance, and then you know, sharding comes with its own unique set of problems and, you know, usually requires lots of things and, uh, you know, application changes and everything else. And it's a lot of uh, toil. And uh, definitely it's it's one of those things that, well, you know, you should probably avoid doing it if you don't absolutely have to. But if you have to, you have to, and you just have to embrace it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so that's what we've done. Yeah, I'd say that there's a lot of data in the world. There's plenty of data. And especially on the internet, mm -hmm. like this data is everywhere. Um, so the, it begs the question, uh, Russ, how does someone uh, as, a, as like a new new person in the software industry uh, decide, hey, it, I should go into databases? Uh, well, you know what? <laughs> DBA. <laughs> Did you like see a Commodore 64 and you were like, you know what? Can make a database with that. <laughs> <laughs> no, How does that happen? Uh, no, not exactly. See that—that's an interesting question. Most 
most uh, people, database people, uh, kind of end up to it with one or two routes, and both of them are completely unintentional. It, it kind of feels like you're being brushed aside. Um, but it, it, it's usually like a, you're a developer who has, um, you know, maybe some talent with databases, uh, you know, or a certain affinity for it, and or you're a systems engineer, and uh, you know, you end up managing a lot of systems that have database servers on them and so then you learn some skills that way and it, it, being on uh, on a data team in general it, it's an interesting role because you're kind of uh, between the software and the hardware so you need skill sets from both really on a on a fully fledged team and so you know I, i'm kind of uh, i i wouldn't say completely unusual but I'm, I'm somewhat unusual in the sense that most people tend to end up in the database role kind of coming from the hardware side and I came from, you know, I was a developer for, you know, 15 years, you know, and, and uh, eventually I just wanted to do something different that didn't involve, you know, sitting around, you know, writing code all the time. I wanted to actually, you know, kind of do something that was a little, a uh, little different. And, and surprisingly enough, databases and, and the job is much more different than what I could have ever possibly imagined. It's, there's, it's a, a, a deep field and it's a critical Point of the infrastructure and it's one of those things where um you know the skill set is is there's a little bit of overlap but i mean there's a whole lot to learn there yeah i think a lot of people imagine the role as going up to a team of developers and saying you know what you're wrong your app <laughs> is doing the wrong thing <laughs> it broke the database i'm gonna have to ask you to not do that with your app anymore uh i think like my initial experiences with um you're doing it wrong or you broke the database were actually what caused my interest in databases. So like my first job ever as a developer was, was writing code to migrate billions of records from flat files into a Postgres database. Uh, and uh, when I did that, I had to learn a bit about how Postgres works and some of the internals. And the more I learned about database internals uh, and tuning, the more I became interested in databases. And I kind of went down that rabbit hole. I got kind of nerd sniped by databases. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, kind of back to what we were talking about, which which that's very interesting, actually. I mean, that, that's an unusual way to do it. I, you know, it was kind of one of those things. But uh, I, I kind of think of, of, yeah, I mean, being a database administrator isn't necessarily, you know, you, you get to go tell people that they're doing it wrong. You know, they what ends up usually happening is you start getting paged to death and then you scramble around to figure out what the heck is going on. And then when you finally do figure it out, it's like, oh, oh God, why are they doing that? And then you go to the <laughs> team. at 2 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> it's like 2 a.m. I don't know why it's always at 2, but it, it seems to be fairly frequent. But, or, or 9 p.m. depending on your sleeping schedule. But uh, And then you go to the team and you, you say, hey, could you, could you please stop beating up my databases? And they're like, dude, what's wrong with your database? And then it's like, well, you know, you can only punch it so hard in the face so much before it falls over but but um Can yeah it's slightly pure to oh, I'm your sleeping schedule rest well, now uh, nobody cares about me i mean so for people who are only listening it, it's good to just keep in mind that that russ is uh flipping a lot of birds here in the in the room so you can just kind of imagine that as he's speaking it's a uh, yeah it's a punctuation accent. mark <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what time do you normally go to bed russ yes uh this is a good question Usually six thirty seven p.m. at night. Six thirty seven p.m. So yeah, Russ sleeps there. differently. 
<laughs> yeah, and sleeping outside the box. <laughs> and, and, and to be fair, it's not by choice. Uh, you know, I uh, it just it slowly snuck up on me over the years where you know I just get tired earlier and earlier, and I kept waking up earlier and earlier, and then. One day I realized, wow, I'm going to bed, you know, at 6.30, I'm exhausted. So how early are you waking up then? Uh, it depends on the day. If I'm lucky, I can sleep until 2 a.m. But, you know, most days I, I tend to get up. Before. So, you know, is this unintentional or is this <laughs> a sleep cycle yeah. shaped by page duty? Yeah. Where you just happen to wake up. Yeah. Do you feel like your, your brain starts to go into work mode early in the morning? Um, and that kind of wakes you up or is it? something else i mean yeah i i can't necessarily say that uh you know sometimes yeah i wake up and I'm, i realize you know i've been dreaming about work or been thinking about a problem all night and that's kind of what but it's not really so much i i don't think it's necessarily stress related because like i said you know I, I mean my eyes just open and it's i can't go back to sleep and so i'm stuck there and you know you can try you know uh, you can try you know counting sheep you can get up my wife bought me a meditation light where you can you're supposed mm. to time your breathing with the pulses of the light on the ceiling and it's like mm, nothing picture you yeah really yeah well yeah enjoying a meditation light. I, I think yeah. the key about meditation is you need to be able to shut off your mind which is not necessarily a skill that i possess so it's a slippery slope so you're getting up earlier and earlier next thing you know you're going to bed at 6 30 <laughs> waking up at 2 a.m but when you wake up at 2 a.m you're not going to work you're well, not always, right? I mean, I I do generally. I do a, a chunk of work at home, and you know, I mean, I I have. Uh, I heard there were steam games involved. Well, so. well, yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, I mean, it depends. Uh, it depends on the. Uh, uh, yeah, here's another question for you. What what number of steam games are you up to in your steam library? Uh, I don't know an exact figure. This is a debatable it, number. It, well, <laughs> it, it changes with some frequency, but um, it's uh, it, it's over fifty seven hundred at this point. So five thousand yeah. seven hundred games. Yeah, databases I'm, at scale. Yeah. Well, actually, games do you think you have your own shard yet? In in the uh, whatever is. Uh, backing Steam account uh, number. SQL Server, actually. They're and, using SQL Server. Yeah, and uh, no, I don't think I do. Um, there there are lots, of, well, I wouldn't say lots, but there are many people with, with more games than I have. I remember sure. in the uh, the earlier days of, of Twitter, they were they were sharding things, I think, by user account or, or had something <laughs> to do with the, a number of followers. So Justin Bieber had his own kind of shard dedicated to him because he was like testing the way that uh, that Twitter had partitioned their data. Interesting. For reading something about well, that. I remember the fail well a lot back in the early days. Yeah. And it requires some be... significant engineering effort to get them out of that. They were spinning around for months, you know, trying to get them. Yeah. yeah. So, Joshua, when you were getting started in days of your uh, working with these databases, what was your go-to database as a as a young developer? It was Postgres for a while, um, mm. I think, because that was the thing I, I had the most experience with early on. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, then I started to get some experience with MySQL, uh, and, and MySQL started to sort of become the, the devil I knew. Mm. Um, and so I would I would just choose that out of familiarity. But, but I think those are both fine databases. They're open source. Uh, they're uh, very flexible. Uh, it's a good starting point uh, if you don't know what your query patterns are going to be yet or what your schema needs to look like. Um, when did MySQL yeah. really come on to the scene hard? Because it was like becoming a thing, and then all of a sudden it's the LAMP stack, and it's just what everyone uses. So I, I started using it around the time that Oracle acquired it. Whoa. And that would have been... Late adopter. Yeah, yeah, which was late in the game, right? Like 2000. 
2010, 2012, yeah, something 2000, like that. Somewhere in there. Yeah, right. yeah. Um, and and uh, yeah, NODB had become the standard uh, storage engine right. by then. Uh, that sort of, and then there was a lot of uh, contributions from like Google and Facebook into the the upstream code. Hmm. It's like I think this must have been five point maybe five point one. I'm going to say five one. Yeah, I yeah. think that I think Somewhere that's right. And there. I think five five was the first kind of Oracle contribution, and five six was like pure Oracle. But yeah. And you've been using it since the beginning. You were sitting with Monty. And... Uh, no, <laughs> I wish I I would like to, I I tell you out of all uh, I would really like to buy Monty a beer sometime and just yeah. uh, kind of talk. I heard he's a he's a very interesting who's Monty. Monty Whiteness is the person who invented MySQL and he named it after his daughter mine. So that's interesting. And then later on, he went to found Maria DB or named it after his other daughter Maria. So you know, it worked out well. Yeah. And Russ was MySQL your first? No, no. Cadre uh, into the. No, I mean, I guess I probably got started a bit earlier than Joshua. Um, but uh, 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 my first uh, experience with a real database was probably Sybase. And uh, back in the day, and uh, we're talking uh, mid to late 90s, and Sybase was an amazingly powerful, really, really well uh, uh, full-featured database system. It was an exciting time, technology, mid to late 90s. There yeah. were a lot of things happening. A lot of things happening in Sweden, apparently. Sybase is also Swedish, so mm. Sybase AB, MySQL AB. Um, so that th th that's companies. not the right side. That's the wrong Sybase. So yeah. like, which Sybase is this? S Y B A S Y. Okay. Yeah. But I will say one thing about Sybase, and uh, uh, they had some amazing, amazing uh, education. Hmm. Which um, so it, it's an interesting phenomenon in the tech field. I think is that oftentimes the the newest people on the team get the most interesting projects because nobody else has time to drop everything and go work on what's more interesting. And so similarly, you know, I, I started off and I, I remember during the interview at this company that, that I was, where I got some of my training on, it was uh, the questions were like, Hey, how do you write a query? And I'm like, uh, you know, select star, I think from, from table, I guess. And, and they were like, yeah, thanks. But at the time, you know, they were kind of looking for somebody who, yeah, you, they were looking for more of a developer role and they were willing to kind of train me up. Well, interestingly, fast forward a few uh, months later after I started and, you know, was getting used to VB and mm -hmm. doing all these different kinds of coding stuff. And good old uh, VB. Uh, yeah, uh, VB5. Good old VB and your side base. Oh, yeah, and, and, and lots of Pearl on Solaris. Oh, but, wow. oh, yeah, but, but here's the thing. Really to talk about yeah, fair enough. But but um, the interesting thing was, is that so, you know, I'm sitting there and I don't really have a lot on my plate. I'm still a very new developer. And yeah. and uh, uh, the, the the database team had brought Sybase on site to train uh, anybody that was interested in how sure. to use Sybase. And, you know, they paid a lot of money to have them come on site. And so they said, well, you know, if anybody on your team, we have a slot. And so they sent me. And I will say that that 40 hours of training laid the foundation for um, everything I've done since. I, it was out, it was not just good training, it was outstanding training. And mm -hmm. you know, normally in a lot of the, the training that you do when you're actually in the job, it, it, it tends to be very uh, nebulous and fades very quickly, but it's a very fragile skill. But with the training that I got from, from Sybase about, you know, performance tuning optimization, you know, query writing, stuff like that. It was amazing. And, and interestingly, the other uh, uh, database administrator, my previous position, 
he got his start in, in databases on Sybase. And I asked him, well, how did you learn all this stuff? And he said, oh, he was in a room and there was a bunch of Sybase manuals. So he would pull them down and read through them. I mean, they had some fantastic training. Yeah, I think it's interesting with training at the right time. So there'll be some new technology and, it, you know, there's a lot of self-taught folks in the industry who can read the manuals and get started. But when you have an expert who knows where all of the gotchas are, who can just say, hey, you're just getting started. Don't do the following 12 things. And yeah, you'll probably be OK. <laughs> yeah, like do, this is booby trapped over here and I would never set it up in this configuration. Mm -hmm. And like, I'm so glad I heard that right now. And you're sort of off to the races at that point. You don't have to learn like six months of mistakes. Uh, that was the biggest, uh, I think, leg up for me was when I got started with MySQL, um, the Percona blog already existed or not long after. No, it already existed yeah. had for, for years. And uh, so there was a period of time there for maybe a couple of years where I was reading a Percona blog post, like at least one a day every day sure. uh, and kind of digesting those. And that really gave me a lot of the, that, that kind of like, oh, never do this. These are the things to look for. Um, yeah, here are the... Right. The basics and it takes a lot of work yeah. to write those blog posts so for the people out there who are experiencing horrible <laughs> technical accidents in their yeah. workplace yeah. and then writing them up is a um you know a guide for for newcomers your work is appreciated thank you yeah, sharing is caring. yeah i really like the uh this kind of trend towards um public uh postmortems and, and things like mm -hmm. that right yeah and, you know, New Relic, we're just getting started with some newer technology like the test to help scale out MySQL. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we're, we're diving headfirst into Kubernetes and some mm -hmm. other things in that ecosystem. So it, it does help to, you know, there's some companies out there who can provide some of that training, bring them in. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Get a good start. It's, it's a complicated problem and there's all sorts of interesting things. And uh, the test is kind of kind of interesting. Uh, if your backend is MySQL and, and you, you still want to be able to use most of your code, you can in theory use uh, Vitesse and it should, uh, you know, with some limitations should help. But, you know, there's nothing comes for free and everything has its learning curve. And it's, uh, it's, it's one thing to spin up a little test instance, a toy instance and play with it and say, yeah, see, it works, but it's an entirely a different thing to actually productionalize it and be able to monitor it and watch it and know what's going on. This thing must continue to work forever right. because it's a critical component. Uh, yeah. So like with databases of all the different parts of an application that can break yeah at 2 a.m like some things are unfortunate uh you know maybe your css gets a little twitchy on a website or something if um one of your dependencies uh breaks with the database though it's usually not a good time no. if it seizes yeah. up yeah i mean i think most applications kind of assume and, and rightfully so that they have two things they've got network and they've got a database and and i think that that's probably the one thing that i i value most in my in my current role is that, you know, I like being at the pointy end of the spear. I like, you know, feeling like I've contributed something, you know, and, and if, if the databases are working well, or if they have a bad time and we manage to pull it out of it, I, I feel like I've actually contributed a great deal. So. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Being able to, to uh, contribute in an emergency situation and get us out of um, hot water quickly. is like, it's kind of a good feeling. Yeah, it yeah. really is. Yeah. Yeah, the database tier is in, in New Relic parlance somewhat spicy. 
<laughs> yeah, I would have to. It's agree a spicy that. system. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if things start to go a little uh, in an unexpected direction, you know, the application is going to have some impact. The user is going to be impacted. That's right. And, and, yeah. and I'm aware of a couple of systems where, I mean, even, I mean, you say things like, well, the, 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 that they're kind of spicy, but there are certain teams here, I can think of uh, two of them right off the top of my head, where even an extra millisecond of delay um, is enough to push their applications into the red. And so, I mean, yeah, the tuning and, and monitoring and those kind of things become very important. So at what point in your career do you say, you know, this is a critical system that uh, is really impactful if, let's say, it were to fill up unexpectedly a database, or if I were to make a mistake, you know, you're, you're just working with a new system and you configure something differently and you get a new workload pattern and all of a sudden the website doesn't load anymore. At what point do you say like, it's okay for me to work on this? Like I've got this. At what point do you build that confidence of like, I can fix it at 2 a.m.? Well, I mean, that's the thing is that uh, every, every complicated system fails in unique and interesting ways. Mm -hmm. And the fact is, is that um, you, you, you really can't know everything. And, and yeah, I still don't to this day. Um, and, and one of my more favorite, uh, I guess, philosophies or quotes or whatever uh, that I read once was that, you know, an expert is merely somebody who's, you know, experienced 10,000 errors or made 10,000 mistakes in a system. And, and I mean, you know, so it, oftentimes you walk in blind, you're not really sure what's going on and you just have to like, okay, just go through the steps, try to figure out where the problem, where the pain points are, and then try to see what you can do to fix those pain points. And hopefully, you know, you have enough experience and knowledge of the infrastructure and how things are, are laid out that you can actually, you know, be able to resolve the issue. Yeah. I think what happens to people most, most of the time is that they end up becoming maybe not, they might not get to a point where they're the most confident in their ability to quickly diagnose and resolve an issue, but they are already the person who's the best at that, at their company. Right. right? Yeah. And then that. You've done it three times. <laughs> yeah. Just do what you did last time. Yeah. And so, so they, they're then the person, um, and, uh, that's, that's kind of responsible for that system. And, and, and then at that point, your, your confidence grows quickly because you're, you're always working on things and fixing them. But, but yeah, we, we, uh, we refer to these things as tier one services. They have an SLA that's, you know, 10 X of, of the next tier mm -hmm. in the stack and um, foundational. Yeah. It's yeah. very spicy. So um, yeah. Any, anything you do with these, these systems, I think you just, you need to be detail oriented. You need to be mm -hmm. the type of person who's, is always triple checking everything you do. Um, yeah. Yeah. Attention to detail is an absolute must. Um, and uh, another thing that, that took me a while to realize is uh, you have to know what you don't know. It, 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 it's, it's, uh, you have to sit there and say, okay, you know, I mean, maybe this is similar to something else, but this one's different in these ways and make sure that you can identify those and then, you know, spend a moment to do some research before you start making massive changes and, and you know, uh, measure twice, cut once. You know, you, you really need to s slow down, stop, figure out what's going on, make sure that you really understand the problem. I remember that was one thing that, that took me um, a while to, to gain that skill set is, is, okay, so let's say, for example, replication breaks in the middle of the night and you have no idea why. Well, your problem is you need to figure out why so that 
you, it, once you understand why, then you can start fixing the issue. But you really need to understand what's going on. That's one thing I think I've learned on in my time on the database team is that there's this tool called database failover where you can go failover from your primary to your secondary, but that you oftentimes just need to figure out what is the problem with the primary. Exactly. Yeah, because yeah. if it's a workload issue and you fail over your secondary, it's just going to cause that same problem on the secondary. You haven't solved it. You just uh, right. wasted right. some time. And now yeah. you've got two sick servers. And then, um, <laughs> you know, no, I mean, I've yeah. seen it. And, yeah. then, and then and then you you don't have any place else to go after you've done your failover. It's like, okay, well, I'm, I'm stuck here. And, you know, it, uh, and then the other thing is, is that failovers, especially here at our scale, can be kind of dangerous. Uh, you fell over to a, a system with a cold buffer pool and um, it's gonna have a bad time anyway, even on a good day. And uh, if if it's a workload issue and you fell over to a system with a cold buffer pool, you, you actually make the problem significantly worse. So, yeah. you know, I mean, I've gone from, you know, uh, I've gotten to the point to where unless I can clearly identify a hardware issue, I will, I will, I won't do a failover. I need to make sure, okay, yes, there is a problem with the hardware. So that's a, that's a legitimate time to do a failover, uh, an emergency failover that is. Um, but, um, yeah, if I can't identify something like that, I'll, you know, and I suspect it might be that I'll keep digging and I've, you know, sometimes that extends the resolution of incidents a little while longer than what they they could have been. But on the other hand, you know, we avoid the the trap of of you know having uh, lots of sick database servers and not having anything you can do to mitigate the problem. Yeah, I think that one of the things that that makes somebody a good DBA is is their ability to. Uh, well, exposure to lots of catastrophic failure, <laughs> and also uh, just that willingness to keep digging. I think a lot of people see databases as this sort of opaque thing and then and stop there. Mm -hmm. And other people just see databases as more software and are willing to think about the, the functions and methods that are being called inside that software and think about the, the paths that are being taken. It's a black box. You can open yeah. it up. That's and right. There's yeah. much software in there. Yeah. Yeah. So let's touch on what we're excited about, and then we can wrap up with some rest rants. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God. Uh, so technology-wise, what are you both excited about, if anything, in the database field, the technology in general, things that are new, like on the radar coming up in the next couple of years are going to be a big thing. Um, I, I mean, I'm really excited about... Um, Kubernetes and core OS operators, mm -hmm. um, this ability to orchestrate things at a kind of higher level. I'm more excited about that thing that's going to come after Kubernetes, mm -hmm. um, the thing that offers an even higher level of abstraction over data center resources and, and scheduling workloads. So like uh, Kubernetes yeah. is the platform and there'll be things on top of that. Yeah. Easy. Yeah. And I mean, we're already starting to see some of that with with like Fargate and functions as a service. And I, th I think we're just going to continue to go in that direction. And, uh, but, but yeah, I'm, I'm just really excited about things that allow us to run at larger scale mm -hmm. um, easier, right? Because when you're taking care of 500 or a thousand or 10,000 instances, um, you need different tools yeah. than if you're just taking care of 
you know, a few large databases. Serverless. Databaseless? Is that a thing? <laughs> Databaseless? I don't think that's a yeah. thing yet. Yeah, well. And, and, and you know, I'm going to echo a little bit of what Joshua said. I'm glad he, he brought it up. Um, uh, Kubernetes is, is definitely, you know, uh, we, we spend a lot of time as a team uh, containerizing our databases and having the ability to use something like Kubernetes to schedule them on different pieces of hardware or automatically bring them up or down and for databases to be able to talk to each other across data centers or across pieces of hardware is an amazing, is, is, it's a very exciting uh, uh, thing. But once again, you know, uh, I guess uh, from what I, uh, whatever I had and what I've seen is that Kubernetes is, you know, I mean, there, there's a pretty steep learning curve there. And it's uh, in some ways it's still a little raw, um, but it could solve just a huge swath of problems that would be very valuable for us. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Like in general, technology, I think we're at the top of the S curve of like the mobile, in terms of like how technology mm -hmm. is, the technology I use in my day to day. It's yeah. changing my life. Like in the two thousands, the web two point was was yeah. going strong and like. Yeah, when you start Facebooking and social networking. You're like, oh, my life is changing because people are, you know, doing this weird social network stuff. And then mobile phones was a huge shift, I think, in, yeah. in that whole era. But yeah, we're massive. That is such a massively impactful technology that is kind of now just getting in the optimization phase. It's not, you know, phones aren't changing a ton year to year. Right. So there's these things on the bubble, but they're still like five years out. Yeah. There's like you know, Thomas cars, virtual reality, augmented reality. We're getting a lot of benefits, I think, from the mobile technology wave. Mm -hmm. um, but I think we're seeing it on the, the back end. Like everyone has a mobile phone. Everyone is using technology all the time. Every industry is getting you know, turned into a software industry. Every company is becoming a software company. It's just generating a huge amount of data. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And for us, you know, even here, we'll say, okay, next year, we're probably going to need to 10x our storage right. for our throughput. <laughs> yeah. Like it looks yeah. like it's going to go up at least 10x. And we're like, well, Oh, that's going to be tough. <laughs> right. Yeah, the engineering problems have kind of shifted from like, um, how deeply can you dig into this issue with this particular instance to how quickly can you add another thousand instances? Exactly. Right. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I think it, I saw the same thing as a developer. I mean, you know, when you, my first job was, you know, you, you writing uh, uh, DOS programs in C. And so you would spend a lot of time working on a stream parsing library or something, or maybe right. a new sorting routine. And so many people spend so much time exactly. on a stream parsing library. Right, right. And, 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 but the problem is, is that, you know, employers or businesses, they, they're not, they're not interested in, you know, parsing strings. They're, they're interested in a website or an application that performs a, a task. And, and like Joshua was saying, I want to echo that is that, we just keep going you know, where the complexity doesn't change. It's just that the problem set that we're solving is bigger. I mean, you started off, you know, writing a string sorting library and then pretty soon you're like, you're writing a website or, and then, you know, you're writing like, you know, or, or like in our case, you know, where we start off with like a handful of database servers that are very expensive. And then eventually you're into this, you know, cattle phase where you're just, you know, you now have a whole new problem managing thousands of database servers and basically as automatic as automated as possible. And it's a, it's a, it's a different problem space. Right. Yeah. The handcrafted artisanal database does not scale into right. the thousands and like for us, we just launched our European region. So mm -hmm. we're deploying New Relic in a completely different um, space around the globe with another set of you know, all of our things. 
And as you scale that out, it, it becomes, we're looking for tools to help solve that problem. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We definitely spend a lot more time now thinking about physics and the speed of light. Yeah. 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 Light. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Keeps the, it's constant, unfortunately. Yeah. All right. Quick Russ rants. Uh, Russ, you hold strong opinions. Uh, <laughs> there's an internal site documenting things that you do like and also things that you don't like. Mm. Is there anything top of the mind uh, you'd like to rant about? Um, well, I mean, you or know. Or in a positive way. Uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm kind of. Positive rant. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, a positive rant that doesn't mm. make a lot of so sense. Excited. It probably won't work. Like I mean, scooters, things like Tony Robbins or something like that. <laughs> um, but no. Um, uh, uh, so yeah. So this is interesting because uh, uh, this list has kind of followed me around. Yes. You know, over my uh, throughout my career, it's an extensive list. Yeah, yeah. And my, my last job, I was there for nine years, and <laughs> and uh, you know, pretty soon it became a, a competition to add things to the to the list of things that Russ dislikes and, and then pretty soon you know I, I'd say something that I hear somebody go I type real fast and go got it <laughs> and, you know, and then uh, and then one of our uh, part of it is you're, you're very authentic Russ you're very yeah you know I just about very transparent transparency I, is yeah solely yeah, isn't my strongest in the things you like <laughs> for sure. just like yeah. but, but but anyway so 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 this list kind of grew over time and then when I came here you know, uh, as the team, you know, Carl and Dana and Jesse started to get to know me, you know, they, they you know, I, I sent them the list. And then so the list kind of came here. And interesting, this list is a little different than the previous list, which mm -hmm. at my previous job, it was just a thing of Russ's likes. And now here it's a thing of Russ likes and dislikes, which is nice. But mm -hmm. I remember as a rant. So one day I, I, I was I'm outside, we had the coffee truck at my previous position and we're waiting for some coffee and 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 this uh well woman employee who i never met was wearing a t-shirt that had you know misspelling on it and i was i was pointing that out to her that you know what was wrong with her shirt you know uh, it, mainly the misspelling and the color and uh then she <laughs> and uh you know there was other things but i held back a little um but then uh, uh she goes oh yeah you're the guy that hates things and i'm like i that set me off because I'm not a per I'm not a hater. I'm not I a person. Hate things. <laughs> no, I don't hate things. I just just little things bother me. And I think mean, being it, called out, I'm gonna add that to the list. Yeah, fair enough. But I mean, <laughs> it, but I mean, in the end, um, it, it's one of those things where it, it, it's like it, like Joshua was talking about earlier. Attention to detail. It, it, you know, there there's side effects to that. <laughs> you know, there's certain, there's certain personality characteristics that may not be fully desirable. So, yeah. You know. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, Joshua, any quick rants? Anything? <laughs> putting salt in the wound lately? That's a, worth ranting yeah. about? I'm, I'm going to hold those in for now. I'm going to save some up for next time. Yeah. I'm trying to think if I've got any top rants. You know, something to rant about in a positive way that I think is weird um, in, in terms of like new technology, that like what is going on in 2018. Mm-hmm. Memoji. Oh. Huge time sink. Have you played around with these Memoji? 
I have no idea what you're you talking about. You have a new about. iPhone, and you can put like an emoji face on your face. Okay. It's like a cartoon, but it's like you're talking, and the cartoon is talking with your facial expressions. <laughs> yeah. So you can put it yeah. on live real time. This is an incredible time sync. <laughs> you can put a chicken face on your face. I mean, the technology we have, okay, <laughs> we started with transistors, you know, in the early 1900s vacuum tubes, and now we're all the way to the computing power where you can put a cartoon face on your face, and it speaks for you. Uh, that's where we're at. <laughs> maybe, uh, yeah. So a, I've been thinking a lot about ethics and AI. That's maybe in the gray area there. Yeah, it, it, I guess <laughs> what a weird. fantastic time to be alive. <laughs> I can do my emojis. All right. Good rants. All right. <laughs> we'll wrap up here. And uh, to all the people on the internet, thank you for listening. And we'll yeah. talk to you next time. Thanks for joining us. See you. Bye.